Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. It's the start of a new year, and we have a lot of great things coming up, including the 2023 launch of our small group. So make sure you're here on Sunday mornings and following us on Facebook and Instagram at My Collective Church to stay connected. We really want you to be a part of what God is doing here. Now let's get into Sunday's message. When Ray found out that she was pregnant with our first child, we did what a lot of parents do, and we went to Ikea. Uh, There's a ton of things we needed to buy to create this nursery, and so we went and loaded up our vehicle to get things back home. And one of the things that we bought was a dresser. And a few weeks before Elise was born, I took the day off to build it. And I'm a decently handy guy. I worked in contracting in high school and college. And so building stuff doesn't really make me uncomfortable unless it is IKEA furniture. (laughs) Because building IKEA furniture is the worst. You have to have no skills to build this furniture. And so I opened up the box. I started to get things organized. You know how you kind of place things in the right spot. And I began searching for the instructions but they weren't in the box. Now, if building IKEA furniture is torture, building IKEA furniture without instructions is torture that only Satan himself could come up with. And so I went online. I tried to find instructions for it online. I'm searching for things like IKEA dresser, Flugin instructions, Flugin instructions, IKEA Flugin, IKEA dresser. And I couldn't find anything except for hacks and how to turn the dresser into something other than a dresser. Everything was like, turn this dresser into a cat bed. Turn this desk into a cat bed. It's just a bunch of cat people hacking things in Ikea. And so I figured I could probably put this together. And I started, started doing the best I could. And I cannot tell you how many times I had to take this thing apart. There was a piece that was backward, or the holes were facing the wrong way, or I went in the wrong order, and I couldn't get this thing built. It was supposed to take me 90 minutes. It took me four hours. And I had parts left over. Not sure if I was supposed to, didn't have the instructions, but I, ha- but I did. Uh, today is the last Sunday in our series called Habits. And over the past few weeks, we've been talking about some of the keystone habits that are found in the Bible. And just as a reminder, a keystone habit is a habit that when we bring it into our lives, when we make it a priority, they have a ripple effect that positively impacts other areas of our lives that matter the most to us. These habits positively impact our faith and our relationship with God, but they also positively impact our relationships, our mental health, the way we view ourselves, and a ton more. And before I get into the final habit today, I want to check in on you all and see how things are going. So how many of you over the past few weeks have made rest, prayer, or worship a habit and a priority over the past few weeks? Okay, that's better than first service. I'm not supposed to have favorite services. You guys are quickly becoming my favorite service. (laughs) So the thing is, my guess when doing this, it hasn't been easy, right? Anytime you try to create a new habit, it doesn't typically slot right into your life. There has to be some change. You really have to evaluate your time and your other habits to see where does this fit? How do I make this a priority? But for those of you who are trying to put these into your life, my guess is that you already see a positive impact, that you feel closer to God, that you can see yourself being more patient, that you feel more joy, that it's actually easier for to remove some of the bad habits that you have in your life to give room to the good things that you wanna start doing. 
And so let me just say this to everyone who's trying to develop new spiritual habits right now, or you've tried and you failed, but you're gonna keep going because I believe in you. Statistically speaking, this is the time of year when you are about to give up. By the end of January, over 40% of people have bailed on their New Year's resolutions and the big changes that they are trying to make. And so let me just encourage you for a moment, don't give up, keep grinding. If you haven't started yet, don't get in your head, okay? You have a lot of time left this year. Start the habits now. Keep making these a priority. If you miss a day, pick it back up. If life gets busy, take a step back and reprioritize. This series isn't about being perfect. This series isn't about keeping some sort of streak alive. It's about faith and growth and discipline that will change your life. And the biggest thing is we always try to start the year with series like this to say, here's how you can have a better year. But but here's what I don't wanna have happen, okay? I don't want you all to get to the end of 2023, look at your life or your faith or your marriage or your peace of mind and say, I don't know what happened, right? Because you all are here right now and you know what will happen if you don't put these habits into your life. And so if you want to have a different year and a different life, these habits have to be a part of it. Now let's get back to Ikea. So building Ikea furniture, that's a hard right turn, I'm aware. Uh, Building Ikea furniture is hard, but doing it without instructions just isn't fair. And this feels a lot like life, right? Life is hard, parenting is hard, marriage is hard, friendships are hard, healing is hard, growth is hard. And because of that, we often wish life came with some sort of instruction manual, something to teach us how to live, something that teaches us how to be healthy, how to deal with hard times. And in search of that, we often turn to our parents or we turn to books or we turn to social media to teach us how to live. And it doesn't work, does it? It kind of always leaves us disappointed. And so today, as we finish up this series, we're gonna be talking about the spiritual discipline to end all spiritual disciplines. This is the one that will have the biggest impact on your life. And it's reading the Bible. It's reading the Bible. This book... This gift that we have is an instruction manual for life. It teaches us a better way to live. It teaches us how to handle difficult situations. It teaches us about grace. So when we screw up, which we will, we know that we don't have to live in that shame. This is a gift given from God that teaches us how to live a better life, to know who he is and know how much he loves us. And if you commit to reading this every day, your life will be changed forever. Not just your year, but your life. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. God's word, the Bible, exists to guide us forward and to light our paths. And I love this imagery because if you think about it, if you're walking down a dark path at night, a lamp helps you know you're going in the right direction. But it also helps you know what's around you so that you know what potential dangers there are. It also puts right, the things that are right in front of you, it illuminates those so that you don't trip up on those little things in the dark that are all around us. When you are trying to figure out what to do and where to go, it lights the steps in front of us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. All scripture is inspired by God, all of it, not just the scripture we like and doesn't push on us. And think about it, what is the opposite of true? Right? It's something that's false, it's something that's fake, it's something that's a lie. And so scripture teaches us what is true, not what is a lie. And it teaches us how to live our life to the fullest here on earth and for all eternity. 
But part of it is that it teaches us what is wrong and how not to live our lives as well. Romans 15, four says, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we, patiently, as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. And so the Bible exists to give us hope and encourage us. It lifts us up. It helps us focus on something better than what this world has to offer. It helps us focus on God's promises, his promises of love and grace and redemption. Right? Doesn't all of that sound so good? Like, what a gift from God. Here, here's the problem, though. We aren't reading our Bibles. A recent study came out that showed that roughly 50% of American adults reported opening scripture at least three times a year, every year, from 2011 to 2021. And let me just say this. Um, I love this study, but three times a year isn't really great, right? The bar for this study is really, really low, but that's how they did this study. Here's what's even worse about this, though. In 2022, that number declined from 50% to 39%. And that means amid record inflation, threats of nuclear war and the Russia-Ukraine conflict, ongoing debates about the state of democracy, mass shootings, the lingering impact of COVID, and a ton more, there were about 26 million Americans who stopped reading their Bible. This is like building IKEA furniture and choosing not, the, not to use the instructions, right? Like if someone came up to you and told you, I bought all these things from Ikea, but I threw all the instructions away just to see if I could figure it out, what would you think? Right? You would think you're an idiot. You would think you're trying to make your life harder. You're going to waste some time that maybe they're arrogant, that they'll fail. And that's just furniture. So what does it say about us when we choose not to read the Bible? Do you see where I'm going with this? In 2021, Baylor University did a study on trauma and the impact of Bible reading, and their findings were incredible. They found that combining education about mental health best practices with Bible reading reduced the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder and increased forgiveness, compassion, and a sense of purpose. The study showed that people who read their Bible regularly showed a drop in feelings of depression, anxiety, and anger. These people also showed a drop in something that's called complicated grief, which is the denial of traumatic events. Right? It's, it's a coping mechanism that we have. And they saw drops in the negative effect and also avoiding activities associated with trauma. People who read their Bible had a drop in depression and fewer suicidal thoughts. And they saw an increase in feelings of forgiveness and compassion and reported increased rates of resiliency, right? the ability to bounce back, which I feel like we need right now. The Baylor researchers said that they expected to see some differences, but they didn't anticipate how clear it would be just from reading your Bible. Here's another study. In the middle of the pandemic, Harvard did a study on Bible reading and found that correlation between scripture reading and hope was strong. Frequent Bible readers rated themselves as 33% more hopeful than irregular scripture readers. The study also found that those who read their Bible regularly, their hope grew as they continued to read. Right? And these are my favorite stats about Bible reading. I share these two or three times a year, and I'm going to do this until Collective as a church closes, and whenever that is. Reading the Bible four more times per week decreases your odds of drinking in excess by 62%, viewing pornography by 59%, having sex outside of marriage by 59%, lashing out in anger by 31%, gossiping by 28%, neglecting family by 26%, overeating by 20%, mishandling money by 20%. Some of you went into this year and you started making resolutions and you set some goals and you said, this is the year I'm gonna break my addiction. 
Right? This is the year where I'm going to grow as a parent. This is the year where I'm going to have more patience. This is the year where I'm going to have more discipline. Read your Bible. Start there. And this is true for people who follow Jesus and people who don't. The stats continue. Reading the Bible four more times per week decreases your odds of feeling bitter by 40%, self-destructive thinking by 32%, feeling the need to hide what you do or how you feel by 32%, having difficulty forgiving others by 31%, feeling discouraged by 31%, experiencing loneliness by 30%, experiencing fear or anxiety by 14%. If you are feeling lonely or discouraged or you do not like yourself right now, read your Bible. Reading the Bible four more times per week gives you significantly higher odds of giving financially to a church, 416%. That's insane. Uh, discipling others by 231%, sharing your faith with others by 228%. Reading the Bible four or more times per week gives you significantly lower odds of fe feeling spiritually stagnant by 60%, feeling like you can't please God by 44%. Some of you have been stuck in your faith for a really long time, and the key to get out of that is right here. It's reading your Bible. It's not sitting and thinking what God thinks about you. It's reading what he thinks about you. And so here's the takeaway for today. If you haven't figured it out, I'm not doing a very good job. <laughs> read the Bible. Read the Bible. If you want to have a better year, read the Bible. If you want to live a better life, read your Bible. And you will see an impact on trauma, your mental health, your hope, your self-worth, your relationships, all of it. And that's not just me sitting up here saying, this is true. Like, this is Harvard. This is Baylor. These are people in this room who are saying, I do this in my life, and I felt a difference. Just picking up this book and reading a few verses, a few chapters, a few minutes a day will change your life. Now, I am going to warn you, though, that you are not going to love everything that you read in the Bible. Some of it is going to make you uncomfortable because it's going to push against the way that you are thinking and the way that you are living. But that is a good thing. If we trust that God can restore us, if we trust that God can give us grace, that if we trust that God can take the broken things in our lives and redeem them, we can also trust his words can reform us in the way we think and the way we live for the better. And I'll just say this. Over the past five years of Leading Collective, um, this is my 223rd sermon. Um, I actually keep track of all this stuff because I'm a huge nerd. Um, but over the past five years, uh, that means over 1.1 million words have been written for just me preaching at Collective. That's over 3,000 Bible verses as well. We've hit on topics like forgiveness, marriage, family, friendships, giving, sex, wisdom, mental health, our feelings, our words, our habits, our purpose, and the city that we love, Frederick. We've talked about hope and grace and peace and mercy. We've talked about the start of the church. How did it begin? How did we get here? We've talked about who God is and who Jesus is and how all of these things relate to us. And through all of that, not one time have I gone to science or psychology on these topics, and there's been an, a different conclusion than what Scripture says is healthy. Not one time. Everything I've read in the Bible and ever taught on, not one time have I found science and psychology articles or studies that negate the positive impacts of Scripture. Science and psychology constantly back this book up. It's like God knew a thing or two about a thing or two, right? And I think that's really important. And I think that means this can be trusted. And I'm not saying that everything I've taught on people and culture are okay with. We know that's not true because there are a lot of things that we do in our own lives that science and psychology say, these aren't good for you, and we do them anyways. Check your phones, right? 
What I'm saying is that I have yet to read scripture and then come across a study that claims a negative impact of what God teaches. Rather, they confirm the positive ones, even in the topics we don't like. So there are going to be times when scripture makes us uncomfortable, when God's words push against our feelings and our desires, against popular opinion, against our culture. And so the challenge is to lean in because if we can trust God's word with our souls, we can trust him with how we live our life while we're here on this earth. Whether or not this makes you uncomfortable, you need to read your Bible. Now, every time I preach on a topic like this or give this as advice, um, I typically hear two things. The first is, I don't know how to read my Bible. And the second is, I don't know where to start. And I totally get that. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, There are a few ways that you can build this habit of reading your Bible every day. I'm going to put them up on the screen, and you can take a picture of these. These are just some tips and tricks of how to get started. These are not the only ways that you can read your Bible. Ultimately, these are ways that you can get those habits moving in your life. One of the things you can do is you can write down the verses that we talk about here on Sunday morning, and you can go home and read them again. Read what comes before it. Read what comes after it. You know, read what comes all around it. Another thing you can do is you can start a Bible reading plan on the YouVersion app. It'll send you an alert every single day to remind you that you need to read. If you're going to go this route, start a plan with a friend or a family member or even just find someone in this church and say, hey, will you read this with me? Because when you have somebody that holds you accountable, it's so much better. Another part of that, though, is you also get to comment and share what you're learning and what you're reading as you go through it. I always encourage people, if you go the YouVersion route, look up Bible Project and use their plans. Um, a lot of plans on the YouVersion app are like three, four, five days, and we know that that, that doesn't create a habit. The Bible Project plans are 30, 45, 60, 90 days, a whole year. And it comes with videos and context and a lot of great stuff. Another thing you can do is you can go to BibleGateway.com or OpenBible.info and do a Bible reading based on specific topics. You can do a word search and read everything that Scripture says about that. Now, I don't suggest that that's your only Bible reading because then you're just picking and choosing what you want to bring into your life. But this is a good way to get comfortable with reading Scripture. There's a great podcast called Bible in a Year where someone reads the Bible to you and then does a small teaching. It's been around for a few years. It's really good. I'm currently reading a book with our overseers called Core 52 by Mark Moore. It has a Bible plan, and what it does, it takes 52 of the biggest topics in the Bible, and every single week you read that topic and you read all the scripture around it. It's incredible. But the best option, no matter what, will always be to get a real Bible, a paper Bible, to set aside time every day to read. Put it on your calendar, set alerts. Wake up a little early to read. Stay up a little late. Ultimately, get off TikTok. Stop watching Netflix. You have the time. Read at lunch instead of cruising through social media. If you've got kids, read with them before bed. If you're married, read with your spouse. You read alone in the private times that you have. But read your Bible. Last year, I mentioned that I bought a new Bible um, called a filament Bible. And it comes with an app where you can actually scan an icon at the top of the page. And what it will do is it will give you maps and context and commentary on what you're reading. It's great. It's changed my Bible reading completely. Multiple people in this church went out and bought one. And they will tell you that their habit of reading the Bible grew. And that makes sense because studies also say that people who read a physical Bible will read it more. So if you really want to lean in this year, read your Bible. But get off the digital and onto the physical. A few weeks ago, I was talking to one of my friends about this topic, and he said something that was too good not to share. He said, when I open my phone, 
I'm not always trying to grow or heal or find wisdom. Sometimes I open my phone just to escape, to avoid what is going on in my life and to get lost in things that don't matter. And I feel that in my core. My phone is a tool for work. It's also a tool to remind me that I cheer for the worst teams in the NFL and Major League Baseball. <laughs> my phone really just brings me pain. There, there is not a time where I don't open my phone and I don't feel stress or anxiety or worry or anger. It sucks, right? And you know how that feels, but you will never pick up a Bible and worry about getting lost in the gossip of Facebook. You will never pick up your Bible and get distracted by the things that don't matter. You will just find hope and you will just feel peace and you will just learn how to live a better life. And so the thing is, you can absolutely go digital. I'd rather you go digital than not read your Bible at all. But if you really want this to be a habit that sticks this year, start reading a paper Bible. And the thing is, I'm so passionate about this and specifically the filament Bible uh, as a tool that I bought a bunch of these to give away today. And so listen, if you don't have a physical Bible or if you do have a physical Bible, but it's the King James Version and the language is still from 1611, which it is, and you don't understand it. <laughs> or if you can't afford a Bible or as I said, first service, you've never stole one from a hotel before. I guess you're allowed to do that. We debated it a little bit during first service. I don't know. Here's the thing, don't steal it from, from a hotel. I have one for you, okay? I've got about 20 of these to give away and I want you to have one. And so if you want to start that habit this year and you don't have a good Bible for that, this is a good Bible for that, okay? Come find me after service and I'll give it to you. But here's the deal. You have to start reading today, not tomorrow. Okay, I'm not interested in tomorrow. I'm interested in right now. So not Tuesday, not Wednesday, not next Sunday, not bringing it here so that you can show me that you have it. I want you to read it today. And I'm gonna ask you about it. I'm not gonna ask you if you know everything that you read. I'm just gonna ask you, did you read it? And how is it impacting your life? So if you want one, come find me in the lobby. I'll be over by the doors. Now, students, let me talk to you for a second. When Youth Collective starts in a few weeks, you should be there uh, because you're a student, but also because DJ will have a Bible for you as a gift, and it is a good one. It is one that you will be able to read and understand and use. And so you need to make sure to be there in February because this is a great opportunity to build a habit in your life that's proactive and not reactive. Meaning you have the opportunity to get ahead of some of the life experiences that are coming your way and you should do that. And let me just say this, every adult in this room that reads their Bible consistently will tell you that they are glad that they read it, but they wish they had started earlier would make their life a lot easier. And so students, you have this unique opportunity. Do that this month. And so you should read your Bible. Now, I want to give you another tip when it comes to reading. Uh, I learned this about 10 years ago, and I love it. It's kind of like a, a tool for how do I read this and how do I understand it? And it's something called the SOAP method. And SOAP stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. It's really simple. And so what you do is when you open up your Bible or you pick out whatever you're going to read, you start by reading Scripture. Really simple. Just read it. Then the next thing you do is you think about it, right? You observe what you just read. You write it down. You talk to somebody else. Maybe you make some notes about it. You're, you make observations about God and his character, right? You make observations about the people in the story and how they responded to what was happening. You make observations about how it made you feel and what it immediately made you think. Then the next thing you do is you apply it to your life. You ask yourself, in light of what I just read, how does this impact me? What do I need to change? What do I need to grow? What do I need to do? Then the last thing you do is you pray about it. Right? And this is not groundbreaking. It's not you know, this high-level Bible reading. It's just easy. Right? This is just how you should read your Bible. It doesn't, you don't have to have a degree to do it. This is, it's just really that simple. 
scripture, observation, application, and prayer. So that's how you can start reading your Bible. Um, let me talk about the other response I get, which is, I don't know where to start. Um, you know, typically people open it and they read it like a normal book, right? You start at the beginning, you try to go through it. And it's actually not the best way to do it. And so we have another thing that you can take a picture of. Again, these are just some tips and tricks. This is things that I've learned. Um, you can do it differently. But I always tell people that the best place to start reading your Bible are the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are the four biographies of Jesus. They're written from different perspectives of four of his closest followers, people that were with him during his life. You will learn about Jesus's life and teaching and why he gave up his own life for ours. If you just read these four books of the Bible, your faith will grow. Especially if you're a non-follower of Jesus and you're on the fence about him, you will not walk away from reading the gospels following Jesus less. Another thing you can do is you can read the book of Acts. This is all about the start of the church. This is my favorite book of the Bible. And if you want to know why Collective celebrates baptism by immersion or takes communion or serves the community the way we do or plants churches, read this book. The book of Acts tells us how churches are supposed to exist and what they're supposed to do and the impact they're supposed to have. And so we follow that. You can read the wisdom literature. The book of Psalms teaches us how to worship. Proverbs, how to behave. Job, how to suffer. Song of Solomon, how to love. Ecclesiastes, how to live. Read Paul's letters. These books are high challenge. They will push your faith. They'll make you uncomfortable. These are the letters that Paul wrote to the churches and individuals, and they are full of how to live a Christ-centered life. Specifically in that group, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon while he was in prison. And so they are great to read when you are in a hard season. Specifically Philippians. It'll change your perspective on hard things. Read about the law or the Torah. This is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. This is how God's relationship with the Israelites began. It's incredibly dysfunctional. It reads a lot like a soap opera, but it is a great reminder that we cannot save ourselves and we need a savior. Everything you read in the first five books of the Bible points to the fact that we cannot be perfect and we need God to solve that for us. Read the history books. These are about the history of the nation of Israel, the highs and lows of their faith and how God was there through it all. My favorites on that list are First and Second Samuel, because it's the beginning of the story of David. It's David's story and then coming out of David's story. Uh, it's just great. And the book of Esther, because she has remarkable faith. Then you have the minor prophets and major prophets. Don't read those. They're really depressing. I'm just kidding. You should read those too. Um, they won't be easy to understand. God is very angry in a lot of those books, the way that people are responding to the life that he has for them but it's really good to understand his desire for us. Honestly, it feels a lot like a parent who's struggling with his children. Of those books, my two favorites are Jonah and Daniel. Jonah, because that's the type of faith I have in Daniel, because that's the type of faith I want. In the New Testament, there's other letters as well. James and Hebrews are the two best books in the New Testament when it comes to faith in action. How do we live our lives? First, second, and third John were written by Jesus' best friends. And they talk intimately about the love of Christ. He saw it, he felt that he experienced it, and so he wrote about it. And the last one on that list is Revelation. It's like sci-fi. It's apocalyptic in nature, but talks about what heaven will look like when Jesus returns. It's really intense, but you should read it. Some great imagery in that book. Now, I do think that everyone who says that they follow Jesus should read the entire Bible at some point in their lives, but you do not have to read it in order. You don't. In fact, as you read through the Old Testament, it's not technically chronologically in order. Right? There are chronological Bibles where you can do that, but you don't have to do it that way. Start with the Gospels, get comfortable with that, then jump around. And when you get to the Minor Prophets, you're like, man, this is really depressing, just jump back to the Gospels and read those again. 
The point is to read it. And let me just say this to those of you who don't follow Jesus. You should also read the Bible. I know that sounds typical in a church, but how else are you going to know if it's true? How else are you going to know if it matters? How else are you going to know if it can change your life if you aren't reading it? Right? There isn't anything that I've taught on today that doesn't apply to your life as well. Read the Bible and see what happens in your belief, in your faith, and your life, because it will change. Now, I want to finish with a story about Jesus. At the beginning of Jesus's ministry on earth, he's baptized in the Jordan River and then immediately goes through a trial. Check this out. Matthew 4, starting in verse 1, it says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. The devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came back and took care of Jesus. Three times, the devil tempts Jesus, tries to get him to question who he is, what his faith is like, his relationship with God. And all three times, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He quotes scripture. He quotes God's word. He says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says, scriptures say, you must not test the Lord your God. He says, scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Because when Jesus is going through this trial, when he's going through this temptation, when he's going through this storm, when he's going through this pain, God's word is the lamp that lights his path. It's his truth that he holds on to. He doesn't have to have doubts because he knows God's words. It's what he holds on to. And some of you are going through a trial right now in your life, and it feels a lot like wilderness. You are hurting. You feel lost. You feel alone. You're looking for answers. You're just confused about what is going on. And you're wishing there were some kind of instructions on how to live life, something that can help you get through the storm, something that will give you wisdom to make the right decision, something that will give you the right words to lift you up and to pick you up and to sustain you. And the thing is, it's right, it's right here. And if you take the time to read your Bible, it will change your life. Because here's some of what you'll read. When I don't have confidence in myself, Deuteronomy 31 says that I'm strong and courageous. And Psalm 23 says that with God, I lack nothing. When I don't like myself very much, John 15 says that I am loved unconditionally, not based on anything that I could do. When I don't seem to be gaining ground in this battle, Romans 8 says that I am more than a conqueror. When I don't know how to fix this part of my life, 1 Peter 2 says that I'm healed and that I am whole. When I feel stuck or lost and don't know what else to do, Habakkuk 1 and Jeremiah 29 remind me that God is working in my life even if I don't see it. When I don't know how long I'll continue to struggle with this same old sin, 1 John 1, 9 says that I am forgiven and I'm free. When I feel lonely, Psalm 68 says that God has set me in his family and Matthew 28 says he is always with me. When I feel unlovable, James 1 says that I am his prized possession and Hebrews 12 says that I am God's joy. When I feel weak, 2 Corinthians 12 reminds me that God's grace is enough 
and his power is made perfect in my own weakness. When the trials that I'm in just feel like too much to handle, James 1 says that these trials will lead to a stronger faith and a future perseverance. God says that I'm his masterpiece and his workmanship in Ephesians 2. He says that I'm established, 2 Corinthians 1. He says that I'm sealed with his promise, John 6. He says that I'm redeemed, Colossians 1. He says that I can be made new, Colossians 3. And he says that nothing, nothing can separate me from his love, Romans 8. Because there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. Right? Life is hard. Parenting is hard. Friendships are hard. Healing is hard. Growth is hard. But God gave us a tool to help us through those things. God gave us a gift. God gave us the Bible to light our path, to teach us how to live, to give us hope, to show us that even in the storms, we're not alone, to show us how to live this life that is so much better here on this earth than what this world promises us. And ultimately, the best thing the Bible teaches us is how much he loves us, what he would do to be in a relationship with us. And so if we truly want this year to be different, if we have this list of things in our life that we want to be better, we want to be healthier, that we want to change, there's one habit to end all habits, and it's picking this thing up and reading a few minutes, a few verses, a few chapters a day. Do it and see what happens. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful um, that you gave us scripture. God, that we don't have to figure this out on our own, that it's not about our feelings. Um, God, it's not even about our own wisdom um, because you've given us this gift that teaches us these things. Um, God, I pray as we set out and, and we really start moving into this year when, when, uh, when really things start to go back to where they were a few weeks ago when we tried to start these new habits. God, I pray that this year is different for us. But God, I pray instead of bringing all these other habits into our life and, and bringing all these other resolutions into our life, we focus on just one. We start with just one. God, I pray that's reading the Bible. God, I pray that we find the time. I pray that we remove the things from our life that we don't need. God, we allow your word to pierce our souls and pierce our hearts um, and change our lives. God, sometimes it's intimidating to read. God, sometimes we don't understand what's going on. And so... Um, I pray that as we read and, and we dig into this, um, we have people around us that we can talk to about it. We can um, be in community where we ask questions. But really, God, um, as we read, we, we feel your presence. And we know that everything in this book points to how much you love us and how desperately you want us to spend eternity in heaven with you. God, thank you for this gift. Thank you for this tool. Um, God, thank you that we have a physical, tangible thing that, that shows us who you are and reminds us just how much you love us. God, help us uh, as a church uh, make this a priority. God, I, I pray that next year when they put out a study about Bible reading, that those numbers have changed because people uh, that go here at Collective, God, that we're not a church where it's one out of three, and we're not even a church where it's one out of two, but it's one out of one. People pick this up every single day and allow you to change our lives. God, we thank you and love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.